0: All right, I am ready to get into this word. This is the last message in my series in the epistle of 1 John. So find your way to 1 John. We're in a series right now. We've been calling, How Can You Be Sure? And I just wanna say, uh, right off the top here, we're in the last week of the series because I'm out of time, not because I'm out of material. Uh, There's so much more I wanted to say in this series. We spent the last three weeks uh, getting through what was supposed to be the first week of the series. I just finished my first sermon last Sunday And so i'm gonna try to get through another one today But I, I want to share this word that god has put on my heart Out of this epistle and as i've said in the last few weeks The reason I feel burdened to do it is because we are living in a time of uncertainty That's not a doom and gloom state and i'm just reading the news. I mean, that's just it's just where we're at There's a lot of things people are unsure About and I want you to know you can be Sure, let me say as we get into this that i'm glad to have all of our online audience with us I keep having to remind myself because so many of you are in church And I thank god that you are I have to remind myself that some of you are at home and you're watching me on that camera And I was not made for tv ministry. I think I probably have more of a face for radio but (laughs) Thank you chase (laughs) I'm glad he came to church today, man But I am glad you're here with us. If you're watching online, hey, help us swing the digital doors even wider open. Hit the share button, and man, it doesn't cost us anything to broadcast. Aren't you glad we're doing TV ministry in 2020? Not 1970? Not man, we didn't have the budget for that. But we can do it for free. And so we're glad you're with us. Let somebody know. We're going to get into the Word today in 1 John. I read a story uh, recently. Maybe you remember this story. It happened in Missouri in 2006, but it, it, it caught... It caught national attention. An 11-day-old baby, Abigail Woods, was kidnapped from her home. And, uh, I mean, reports started coming in when the news went out, tips from Texas, Minnesota, Virginia, Oklahoma. Everyone was trying to help find baby Abby. What had happened was a woman named Shannon Beck gave birth to a full-term stillborn baby. On the same day, she drove 45 miles away to a house that still had a poster in the yard announcing a new birth. And this lady, Shannon, went up to the door, asked if she could use the phone, went in the house, stabbed the mom several times, stole baby Abby, and left. The wounded mother drug herself to the neighbor's house about 300 yards away And made an announcement to her neighbor. Someone stole my baby. Well, of course, immediately things went into motion. And everyone was trying to help to find baby Abby. When when the reports went out from the police, they said the baby has a distinguishing mark. It's a unique birthmark on her forehead. Well, here's what happened. A few days later, Shannon Beck... Called her sister-in-law, Dorothy, to announce, I've just given birth to a baby girl. Do you want to come see her? So Dorothy goes to Shannon's house and sees the baby, and she rides along with her to a doctor appointment. While Shannon's in with the doctor, Dorothy notices makeup on the baby's head, and so she begins to wipe away the makeup to reveal a unique birthmark. Well... She called her husband right away, and they decided, let's wait till she gets home to confront her. They did confront her, and the story ended well. Baby Abby was reunited with her mother, and really, the thing that saved the little girl's life was that she had a unique birthmark on her forehead. How how many of you have a birthmark? I'm just curious. I don't want to see it. (laughs) That would get weird quick, but just anybody? Yeah, I've, I've got one right on my arm here. The reason I I ask that question is because John, who wrote this epistle, essentially says to us that if you're a Christian, you have a birthmark. There there are some evidences of your new birth in Christ. And so what I want to do for the next few moments is I want to show you what are the birthmarks of believers. Four times, or seven times, rather, in, in this epistle, John uses a phrase. The phrase is born of God. In 1 John, he says seven different times, these are those who are born of God. In other words, when you look at these seven statements, it reveals four birthmarks of believers. And I want to show you what those birthmarks are today. The first one, if you're a note taker, number one is confession. Confession. He says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. There's that phrase. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. So everyone who is born of God has this birthmark in their life. You believe that Jesus is the son of God and you love Jesus as much as you love God. How many of you have noticed that within the church today, there's a lot of different opinions about a lot of theological things? There's a, there's a lot of diversity in the kingdom of God. I mean, we can have differing views on, on, on a litany of things, but I want to tell you, when you stand before God, when I stand before God, he's not going to ask you if you were Pentecostal. He's not going to ask you if you were Presbyterian or Methodist or, or Catholic or Protestant. He's going to ask you, what did you do with my son? What did you think about Jesus? The most important thing that you can do to identify yourself as a believer is to love Jesus as much as you love God and to declare his sonship. And so John, he, he, he's writing this to say this is one of the identifiers. You know, Jesus one time, he asked his disciples, he said, who do men say that I am? And so they started telling him what the report, you know, what's the word on the street? And then Jesus asked him a very serious question. And this is the question you and I will be asked one day. He said, who do you say that I am? And, And Peter makes this incredible statement. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus does something incredible after that. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, on this rock, I'm gonna build my church. What Jesus was saying is that that confession about who I am is the foundation of everything that happens from here going forward. I mean, I'm gonna build the church, I'm gonna build the kingdom. Everything is built on this foundation. Who do you say that I am? That's why when Paul was writing about what it means to be saved, the greatest explanation of salvation that we have, the book of Romans. He says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He said, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He said the key to being saved is you have to confess something with your mouth. That's one of two confessions that we have as Christians. One is we confess our faith. To God, in God, but then secondly, we confess our sins to God. So there's two confessions. And John talked about the second one in his epistle. We've we've mentioned this verse a few times in this series, but in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he said, If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just, and he will purify you from all unrighteousness. But what has to happen? It's a confession. We have to say the same thing that God says about our sin. Listen, nobody gets into heaven for being sorry. You get into heaven for being saved. A guilty conscience will get you nowhere. But if we confess, if we acknowledge, if we say the same thing about our sin that God says about it, and we declare our faith in Jesus as the Son of God, And the only hope for our salvation, we will be saved. For all you history buffs, you'll like this story. I, I read this a while back, that back in 1829, there were two men in American history who had robbed a United States mail carrier. It was George Wilson and James Porter. And for their crimes, both of them were sentenced to execution by hanging. On July 2nd, Porter was executed quickly, but George Wilson had some friends in high places, and they went and they petitioned the President of the United States for a pardon. And President Andrew Jackson gave the pardon to George Wilson for his crimes. But what makes the story memorable in history, because there's been plenty of presidential pardons was that when George Wilson heard the news, he declined. Well, that had never happened before. Nobody declined a pardon. So the issue went all the way to the Supreme Court. What do we do about this? The guy rejected the pardon. And so one of the chief justices on the Supreme Court, John Marshall, wrote this about the situation. Here was his verdict. A pardon... Is an act of grace, he said, proceeding from the power entrusted with the execution of the laws. But delivery is not completed without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered, and we have no power in a court to force it on him. In other words, when George Wilson rejected the pardon, he chose to die. And as insane and crazy as it sounds that somebody would reject pardon, there's a lot of people that are living that reality right now in the earth. Because Jesus has made a way of salvation for you and I. Jesus has made a way, and it's very clear, if we confess, if we say the same thing about our sin that God says about it, if we confess Jesus as Lord with our mouth and believe in our heart that Christ is raised from the dead, we will be saved. But you have to have a confession. God doesn't have any grandchildren. Nobody's getting in on grandma's coat. Well, my grandmother, she went to church. You have to confess your faith in Jesus Christ. And it's a birthmark. If you want to know where somebody stands and they're talking religion and and, and God and, and generalities, you just bring up Jesus. You'll find out real quick. Ask them what they think about Jesus. John said, we believe he's the son of God. And we love him as if he were God because he is God. The second birthmark is this. It's conduct. Conduct. Listen to 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. It says, no one who is born of God, there's that phrase, will continue to sin. Literally, will practice sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. So the second Birthmark of every believer is simply this, your life is changed. Your conduct is different. You have a changed life. And the reason that he points to, he said it's because the seed of the gospel is in you. Jesus said in a parable about four soils that the seed is the word of God. Now, it has a different result depending on what you plant it in, but the seed is unchanging. The seed is the word of God. It's the gospel. That's why Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. When John wrote his gospel, he said in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. So now he's writing in this epistle saying the word, the seed, Jesus, the Son, is planted in you at the moment you're saved. And because the word of God is alive on the inside of you, it changes your outward activity. He says it literally, you can't go on sinning. I know somebody's hearing that, and you're you're a Christian, you're going, yeah, hold my Bible. (laughs) I can't go on. Let me show you how a Christian goes on sinning. (laughs) Listen. He's not saying you're going to be perfect. He's not saying you're you're going to be blameless. You're never going to make a mistake before. What he's saying is when the seed of the word is implanted inside of you, you go from being a person that is practicing sin to a person that is practicing not sinning. Your heart's changed. It's not sinless perfection, but it is a sinless direction. There's some things that you see differently. And why? Because the seed of the word is going to produce something in your life. Now, I don't know about you, I don't know a lot about gardening, but I do know this. When I put a seed in the ground, it's not immediately what it will be. It takes time. And some of us, we can get frustrated in the process because we thought we'd have been bearing fruit right now, and we haven't seen the sprouts really come up above the dirt yet. But just trust the process that he who is in you is greater than he that is in this world. And the seed of the word, if you believe, if you have a confession, I want to promise you, conduct will follow. And if it doesn't, you better go back and confess something right, because God wants to change your life now, not just for eternity. He wants to change your life right now. So John is driving home a point, and the point is really, really this. The point is intimacy with Christ. He's pushing us to draw near to God. This is what's going to change your life. I was thinking about my family vacation this week. We went to the beach for a few days, and... Uh, like any good fair complected guy, I was sitting under an umbrella Mostly the whole time watching my girls play in the ocean, but I told them, stay in front of me I, I, Dad needs to see you stay in front of me But you know how it goes you get out in the ocean and the current starts pushing you farther and farther and then I go Hey get back down here And then they, you know, they'd be waiting like this like trying, trying, and then they'd push back and you know and at some point you get too far away that you just realize, like, this makes more sense to just get out of the water and walk on the beach and get back close to your father instead of fighting against the current. Can I tell you that's exactly why we're in church on Sunday morning? That's why we, got, that's why we came to the house of God on a Sunday morning. Because all week you've been fighting against the current. You've been going against the great. And, you know, it's, you know I, I need a day. I need one day out of seven to get out of the water. I need to get over here where I can see the footprints, and I need to find my way back to the Father's presence today. Amen. And, and that's what John is saying. John is saying, you just need to draw near to Jesus. You have the seed of the word in your life. And if you'll just keep, just keep coming into his presence, it's going to change your conduct. Let me give you the third one. The third birthmark of a believer is, and you're going to love this, I promise you're going to love it, conflict. Conflict. No, nobody likes conflict. But here's what he says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Now, I could have just used the word conquering as a birthmark, because I would have got more amens on conquering. But I went with conflict, and I'm going to tell you why. Because all of us can get excited about overcoming I mean, last week we talked about that word. In the Greek, it's Nikeo. It's where we get Nike. It means victory. And, and, and God has declared right here in His word a big Nike swoosh of victory over our lives. And we can love that and we can get excited about that. But how many of you have learned that there is no overcoming without opposition? There's no conquering without a conflict. There's no winning without warfare. There's no victory. Without vigilance, shall I go on? There is a conflict that you and I are in, and and the reality is you don't have to serve God much longer past the time church ends to realize that, wow, being a Christian doesn't mean I don't have conflict. If following God's will meant that you wouldn't have trouble, even Jesus failed. But Jesus didn't fail. Jesus, in fact, promised. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. It's a guarantee. It's part of the process. We're going to have conflict. That's why when Jesus was talking about what it takes to follow him, he said, You got to count the cost. Like, don't, don't just, you know, go into this thing with rose colored glasses on, thinking it's just going to, you know, be, you're just going to just, you know, walk on rose petals and it's going to be you and Jesus in the sweet body. No, he said, Count the cost. Count the cost before you follow me. And by the way, his invitation was not to join his Sunday school class or, or, or to be in some club. He said, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. So even the invitation is fraught with conflict. And Jesus said, follow me. But you got to count the cost. I, I was thinking this week about our youth ministry. It's, it's called The Current And one of the reasons is because we want students to know that the word of God is current. It is the most applicable truth you can seek today. Amen. It's not an irrelevant history book. It speaks to you today, right now, at this moment in your life. But another reason that we talk about the current is because we recognize that the culture and the world is pushing us farther and farther away from our Christian moorings. Some of you are old enough to remember what it was actually like to be raised in a God-fearing nation. Some of you actually experienced prayer in school. For most of us, that's just a cliche. Oh, we should have prayer in school. No, you used to actually pray in your school. And we recognize that if our students are going to give everything they have to the Lord and fulfill their God-given potential, they have to find another stream. There is another current called the Holy Spirit. And there is a river that they can get into, that will draw them into the plan and purpose that God has for their life. But it's not going to be without conflict. If you've ever been in this river out here, you know you don't have to swim upstream to be impacted by the current. Just be in it. If you're just in it, you're going to be pushed by the current. So what John is saying in writing this is, It's worth the effort. It's worth the effort. Count the cost and pursue the presence of Jesus, even in the midst of conflict. Now, if I say, man, following Jesus is always going to be fraught with conflict, and it's always going to be against the current. Listen, following Jesus is never mainstream, always upstream. And yet, John says, it's worth it. I'm going to tell you why. And and he begins the letter. We read it a few weeks ago, 1 John 1. First three verses, he said, because I've seen and I've heard and I've touched with my hands the Son of God. John's saying, I I was there. And and I heard him on three different occasions. He told the 12 disciples, he said, the Son of Man is going to be bound. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die. And three days later, he's going to rise again. Three times the Bible records Jesus told them that, and every time it says, but they didn't understand what he was saying until it happened. And sure enough, Jesus was bound in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was put on a mock trial. And he was beaten 39 times with a cat of nine tails, and he was forced to carry his own crossbeam up Golgotha's hill. And John stood there holding the hand of Jesus' mom. And he watched him breathe his last breath. And three days later, Jesus showed up in the evening prayer meeting. And John is saying, look, I know it costs a lot. I know it's going to be fraught with conflict. But if somebody that you've been walking with for three and a half years says, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to rise again, and then they do it, that's the Son of God right there. I'm just telling you, that's the Son of God. Follow that guy. Amen. John said... It's going to be a conflict, but Jesus is the Son of God. So you have to approach the conflict with this understanding. We are not fighting for a place of victory. We are fighting from a place of victory. And that's what John means when he says, you have overcome. You've over- the conflict's going to be there, but you're not fighting to gain ground. You have the high ground. We fight from a place of victory. Let me give you the fourth birthmark of every believer. It's compassion. Compassion. John writes in 1 John chapter 4, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. There's that phrase again. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. God, can I just tell you, church, that love is the first instinct of a renewed heart? Amen. Yeah. It's the first instinct of a renewed heart. We love. We love. And I said this a few weeks ago. I'm concerned with the way that the church is responding to crisis. I'm concerned. And if you're wondering which of the crises I'm talking about, yes. <laughs> Yes to that one I'm concerned about the way the church is responding to crisis and this is why Because the the birthmark of a believer the greatest evidence that you are a son or a daughter of god is your demonstration of love for others And I think the world is searching somebody stole the body of christ. Somebody stole the baby. Where's it at and I can't find a birthmark Where's the body of christ? So emphatically, John says, everyone who has been born of God loves and knows God. L- look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. He says this, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. They so say, there's no secret. We, we can reveal both here. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's Child. He's talking about conduct. Then he says, Nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. He's talking about compassion. And then he unpacks that a little bit farther down in verse 13 or 14, rather. He says, We know. This is one of 39 times in five short chapters that John says we can know some things. I'd encourage you just circle or highlight the words we know when you read 1 John. You're going to come away saying, you know what? I think I can be sure about some things. There's a whole lot I can know. He says, we know in verse 14 that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Which he's talking about the change. There's something radically that happens in your life. You see the world through a different lens when you've truly come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Why? Because step one to coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ is recognizing your own spiritual bankruptcy If if you still think you have a relationship with Jesus because you've done something right or you were you know Raised in the right family or born into the right nationality or or anything that you've accomplished Then you haven't really come to him as a savior which by the way is the only type of relationship he'll have with you He'll either be lord of all or he won't be lord at all But if you come Spiritually bankrupt and you recognize I deserve my sin deserves death Nothing I can do earn salvation and yet you receive that free gift You come away like we started this service saying this is amazing grace It's amazing grace and it changes the way that you see other people It changes the way you look at the world around you so john says This this is how you can know who the children of God are, because they love people. Jesus said, the world is going to know that you're my disciples because you love one another. You have love for people. And my concern is that so much of the church, we're acting like an only child. Well, if you're an only child, I'm not trying to insult you, but (laughs) if you've had more than one child, you know what I'm saying. Because you have this little angel at home, and you can't wait to have another one. But when you bring the second one home, the first one realizes that the world doesn't revolve around them anymore. And all of a sudden, they start whining and acting about three years younger than they are and trying to get your attention. And and it's all about me. At least it used to be. Should be a lot of the body of Christ today, it just seems like we're acting like an only child. But the birthmark of a believer is our love for one another. I want to ask the worship team if you'd come back. As as I was praying about this moment in the service, and and listen, I understand, this is a message for the church, all right? If you're not a Christian and you're just kind of checking this thing out, you know, it's a lot of information I'm throwing at you. But I felt like, God, we have to respond to your word. And I want them to lead us in a song that just gives us an opportunity to articulate our response to God's call on our life. And I want to say this, because maybe you're listening to this message and and you're not a believer. You don't have a relationship with God. You can with the first birthmark of every believer. It starts with confession. It starts with us saying, God, I'm going to confess my sin to you and I'm going to confess my faith in you. And all of us need that. We all need to confess sin. So before we stand and sing this song, I I want to pray right now a prayer of confession. So if you've never walked with the Lord or or maybe you've walked with the Lord for years, allow the Holy Spirit right now to search your heart. Just ask Him, God, is there anything in my life that, that is hindering my relationship with You? Is there anything that is it, it's tarnishing my witness. It's, it's something that you want to cleanse me of and remove from my life. The good news is, we said it earlier, if you'll confess it, God's faithful. He'll ju- He's just. He'll purify you. And that seed of the word that's inside of you right now, it'll, it'll just start to grow a little bit more. It'll just start to blossom. So I want to pray for you. Just with your head bowed, with your eyes closed. Father, right now, Lord, I, I confess Today, I confess, God, I still need you in my life. I still make mistakes. I I don't always do things the way I should do them. And I know there are things in my heart, in my mind, things I've thought, things I've said, that don't please you. But, God, I confess today my sin and my failure. And I confess my faith in the righteousness of Jesus because my righteousness is not enough. God, I receive today your righteousness. I thank you, Lord, for the promise of your word that says you robe us in righteousness. You give us a better garment today. And it's because of what Jesus did in dying for us on the cross. So, God, today I confess and I receive by faith forgiveness. I receive, Lord, in Jesus' name in the room, I want to invite you to